Hi everybody, this is Nancy Miller from My Creative Life and today I am very excited. I have author and illustrator Jamie Zollers and she's written this book called The Truth About Dragons. So Jamie, thank you for being on my podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. Well, um, I wanted you to share a little bit more about yourself and talk about how you got started in the field of children's books. Um, sure. I think that I pretty much always drew um, from a young age, so it wasn't surprising. I did meet a lot of people in art school who, you know, didn't always want to do art, but I always did. So I always thought I would find some kind of place creating artwork. Um, and then I guess, I think it was probably my last year of high school, um, where I sort of happened upon some more irreverent picture books by like Honrik Drescher and um, Lane Smith. And some of these books just, they were so different than what I'd seen before. It made me think, you know, I like edgier, darker things and maybe there's a place for me in children's books. So um, I did go to Art Center uh, College of Design in Pasadena, California for college. And um, while I was there, I definitely took all the picture book classes that I could. And I took that class multiple times. And I got involved in the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators locally while I was in school, so that, you know, when I got out, I'd you know, be prepared and I'd understand the market a little bit. So it was always something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. However, when I first sent out my first promos, mm-hmm. I like to illustrate like Grimm's fairy tales mm-hmm. and things like that. So my promos were actually a little too dark for picture books. And I sort of kept getting sent away from them a little bit um, into editorial and all the editorial people would send me back into picture books. And so I had this like mm-hmm. weird world I lived in, which was like in between both. But eventually, you know, I started getting small assignments for like kids kids' magazines and little things here and there, which evolved into creating some picture books. Not creating, I guess at that point, I was just illustrating other people's work. But um, I sort of slowly, you know, moved into that arena. Although usually the books that I was illustrating were um, definitely more sweet um, in nature than what I would normally have drawn on my own. Mm -hmm. And then I would do gallery work to sort of... um, to sort of balance that out and get to do some of my own personal work and logistically how I got into um, creating picture books, sort of a different question, like why you wanted to and like how you actually did it was when I joined the society of children's book writers and illustrators, I volunteered with them. I met a lot of art directors that way. I helped organize events with them and that helped me meet people as well. And it helped me understand the business more. And so as I sort of, got in that way and talked to more people and knew more people, it became a little easier to show them my work. And so over time, all of those relationships turned into opportunities, if that makes sense. So it was a long road, you know, I didn't just get out of school and start illustrating books. Mm -hmm. I got out of school and did my research and was an active participant, even when I was not getting work, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I really loved um, your talk with SVS Learns, and that's why I approached you, because I listened to your interview that was the live version, and it was on the Facebook, and you brought uh-huh. up a lot of things that I had not heard other illustrators um, mention about how they got started, and so you're mentioning about the volunteering. I thought that was great, because mm-hmm. it really suits my personality, so I just kind of help out a little bit now with the the, the uh, Southern Breeze is the chapter that I'm a part of, but I went ahead and I contacted them and said, like, well, do you need any help? And they're they're always up for volunteers. So that was Yeah, great. they are. <laughs> 
So they do a yeah. lot for the uh, children's book community. But um, mm -hmm. I actually bought a copy of The Truth About Dragons, and it's uh, a beautiful oh. book. I mean, it's beautifully illustrated, beautifully designed. So um, I love your detail. Your style is... Um, like holy detail there's a lot of beautiful detailed work um i love the embossing like the graphic designers and i kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit more about this process because you're the author and illustrator and that's a huge accomplishment to me because i go like wow that's you did you know the writing and the illustrating and i think that's a different perspective that maybe you would have if you were just illustrating it and i was wondering if you could talk about you know, that process maybe, you know, and also in relationship to just being the illustrator, how is, how did you feel that was different? Do you feel it more liberating being the author and illustrator or? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, because I thought it would be more liberating, <laughs> but in fact, I found it very difficult, um, to be honest. I mean, I will do it again, okay. but it, it was something that, um, was harder than I thought it would be, which seems weird because mm -hmm. all this time, you know, illustrating other people's work, you kind of feel like even no matter how good it is or whatever, like, Oh, it's great. But you know, yeah. I wish I could just change this thing, you know, then it, this would work better for me as the illustrator or whatever. And so you always sort of dream about that. So you think, man, if I had more control, you know, I could do exactly what I wanted. And, um, and I never really wanted to write, I'll make that clear too. It wasn't something that I wanted to do. Like a lot of people set out and they want to write and illustrate. I definitely liked the idea of illustrating someone's work of bringing like that sort of like one plus one equals five or more mm. because you know two people can come together and make something that neither of them could have made on their own um, because I will admit I'm not a writer first and so somebody that can write better I feel like should be writing the book why should I write the book because there's people out there that can write it better so um, yeah I think that for me it came down to this point where the books I was illustrating um, and many were great stories they weren't necessarily the stories that I would have told or would have wanted to tell so it was rare that I would have a personal connection to the writing and that mm -hmm. you don't need that mm -hmm. illustrating is a job but I tried to figure out how to connect with it um, just to make it more important or more special or something to come out of it that was unexpected and I, I did the best that I could and I, I think we made good books with the authors but you know there's something that I wanted to maybe say so coming out with this book um, I found out that just like all my students, like when I taught, they would always want like free, like do whatever you want assignments. They, you know, they sometimes hate the restrictions that I put on an assignment. Um, but so as soon as I let people do whatever they wanted, actually, those were usually the weakest assignments because like, if you don't have like a box to think outside of, then you're, it's very hard to, to contain your ideas and contain, you know, what makes something successful. So, so oftentimes the best work is like where there are some constraints, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I realized this when I was writing and illustrating yeah. because I wrote the story yeah. with the, the illustrations in mind. And then okay. when I put them both together, there are so many moving parts and I have so many things that I'm able to do that it's kind of paralyzing. Like mm -hmm. there are, you know, thousands of decisions that now need to be made. And when in, when in, an author hands you the text that is the text so like it's very comforting to see that there's something that's not going to change no matter what I do mm -hmm. um and so it's I will tell you it's yeah. it would have never happened this okay. book without my agent who oh, helped me wow. very very much to try to nail it down and when I felt like 
you know, I couldn't do it because I have this perfectionist issue where like it, something's not working. I can't like, I'm just going to drop it, you know, like, and, and he'd be like, Nope, you got to work through it, you know, and, and would definitely ask me for it. And if, if he could tell that I wasn't working on it in the background anymore before we sold it, um, you know, and he would make sure that I was working on it and get through that because for me, I'm a perfectionist like to quit when it doesn't quite work. And let me tell you, if you write and illustrate your own work at some point is not going to work and you're going to want to drop it. And I think just having that support team. And once I sold the book, having my editor, Deirdre, like, you know, having all that in place was that support system that said, no, this is going to be worth it. This is worth doing is the only thing that kept me doing it because I, for me, it's overwhelming to do both, but it's also more satisfying when it's complete. And I can look at it now and there are things that maybe I would have changed. And I just like, accept that. I think for the most part, I definitely like how it turned out, but just seeing, knowing all the different possibilities and all the different cuts and changes we made along the way, you'll never get it perfect. And it's messy. It's a totally messy process to do both. Um, But it is more satisfying. Um, It's also scarier because I don't even remember like really getting reviews honestly in for books that I illustrated because they're pretty much always nice to the illustrator like (laughs) they are they're like you know there's really pretty illustrations and they only usually give you like one line as an illustrator and like good pretty illustrations I'll take it but honestly the brunt of the success of a book or the failure of a book in reviews especially sort of lies on the story as written if that makes sense and so it's sort of scarier I think it's all like much more vulnerable to write and illustrate and make it all be yours because then you're kind of responsible for all of it in both the good ways and the bad ways so wow that's that's okay that's opening eye-opening because um for my thesis I am going to be doing a children's book and so I (laughs) have to do a dummy and I will have to write the story and also I'll have to have five finished illustrations I won't have to illustrate the whole thing um but it is a little bit intimidating because I don't really consider myself a writer. I do feel like what you mentioned, it's not something I naturally do. And so I go like, it, it's a bit intimidating. So is there any tips you would give like to get through those rough times um, that yeah. you kind of helped work it through besides the support group that you had? Was there anything that you yeah. found that yeah. helped? I do think that, um, let me, let me think things that actually help. I think reminding yourself what you like about the book, like okay. what made you like it in the beginning, because it will change so much that if you lose sight of that thing that you liked about it, whether, I mean, sometimes that's a conceptual thing and sometimes that's an artistic thing. And sometimes it's just the topic, but whatever it is, you know, making sure you, that you don't lose that thing that gets you excited because a book is so long of a process, you know, from writing to editing to the dummy to the finals, like you feel like you're finished like five times before you're finished. You're like, didn't I do that already? No, I just mean like five dummies. <laughs> now I'm starting the finals. You know, it's so long that you have to hang on to what you like really love about it. Cause you're going to need that energy okay. to make it through. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the other thing is from an illustrator's point of view, I liked, I started with the words, right. And I hashed those words out so many times, like hundreds of times. And in retrospect, and I'm going to be making my own book again, um, soon. So I'm rehashing out new ideas, but I want to remind myself that I should get to the pictures more quickly. Like I wanted to have a totally finished draft, you know, before I would go in and start doing pictures. But I think because it is like a half and half, like you kind of meet each other in the middle, as you start illustrating, you take away some of the text, you 
realize you didn't need all that text. And then as you're writing it, you know, you might take away more words or you might take away, you know, change the imagery because of the words, vice versa, that it's so collaborative and it's okay. so much give and take that I think starting on the visual part earlier um, probably would have been smart. And a lot of illustrators do that anyways, but I'm opposite. I like to plan it all before I start drawing. Um, so it would be that. Okay. And the other thing is yeah. if you're having problems writing, uh-huh. I would consider not writing okay. at all oh. and just drawing it all out in a dummy form and okay. trying to tell as much of the story as you can through the pictures okay. and then add in the words that are necessary. Oh, if that great. makes sense. Yeah, that's a great idea. I never thought about that. Kind of like start with like a, a wordless option and then go in. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. So you mentioned your agent and that they helped you out with um, the writing process and getting it to um, to market. Um, so when you were looking for an agent, can you talk a little bit about that process, um, an agent specific sure. for the children's book market? Yeah. Um, and so I, I have had multiple agents and every okay. agent is sort of different. Okay. Um, and they, there are two main types of agents I think for illustrators and so um, there would be like an illustration agent and a literary agent if that makes sense and um, the illustration agent can get you working all kinds of uh, avenues you know like magazines or anything like that um, books uh, umbrellas and clothing and you know I mean Mm -hmm. like they can get you all that kind of illustration work and then there are literary agents which focus on books Um, and for a while I didn't think I wanted the literary agent because I wanted to be able to do lots of things. But then I realized that part of the reason I wasn't making my own stories and really, um, really making it anywhere was because I was trying to do everything. So I set out to maybe go ahead and find literary representation. So I was looking for that. Um, so I basically did so much research. I am very type A and I made a spreadsheet. <laughs> and I, one of the things that was really helpful for me was actually, and I don't use Twitter that much. And I had a big break from Twitter before that, but man, a lot of people in publishing use Twitter. <laughs> so okay. I started following anytime I saw an agent's name, like literally anywhere, um, I would like add them to my um, Twitter account and just so I could follow them. Okay. And because it's so hard to find information on agents, like it's very, very, very hard besides just like their page where they say a paragraph about them. And, but you don't really get, I think part of the connection you want to find with an agent is someone that you like can understand you and your work and that really appreciates it and really likes it um, and can sell it in earnest, you know, um, and that you can have a good uh, conversation with that you feel like you, you meet each other similarly and and you understand each other. So um, the way that I, I started following all these people and it was really helpful to get an idea of their personalities, of what they're acquiring, of the illustrators they like, of the people they talk with. And so over time I was just collecting information this way, like Instagram accounts or whatever. Uh And basically by stalking them, (laughs) I mean, but you're, you're getting these little pieces of information that you wouldn't get other ways. And so I started making a list. And so this is like an eight month, eight month process for me or so, um, which sounds kind of crazy, but I had just moved. I like quit my job teaching Uh full time, even though I really liked it and moved because my husband got a job somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so when I did that, I was like real serious. I'm going to get a literary agent. I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. So I made the spreadsheet. And so it wasn't about finding quote the best agent because that doesn't really exist. Everybody has, you know, there's like, there's a lot of gray area there. It's really finding the best one for you. So I set out to be like, who's going to understand me? Who's going to understand my work? Because I've had agents before that were wonderful Mm -hmm. people and wonderful agents, but we don't necessarily see eye to eye, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you just want to 
find that fit. Um, and so I actually got my list down to like three or four. Okay. I think I submitted to three and I got responses from two. And okay. then um, I, I basically met them either via Skype or in person wow. and just felt it out, if that okay. makes sense. Um, but I did a ton of research first because you don't okay. want to solicit any agent. You don't want to solicit too many. Okay. You don't want to solicit everyone just because they're good. You don't be like, I heard you're the best, you know, because okay. that doesn't mean anything. Um, you just want to make sure they're legitimate. You want to make sure you understand what they're creating and you want to be a part of what they're creating and, you know, go from there. But I basically, I did a very good job of picking people that I thought I would see eye to eye with it. I really felt were a match. And, and by so doing that, I think that's why it worked so easily and so quickly for me because my first pass, I got responses, but I, I think that's because I didn't blanket email everyone. And I really thought about it and I was thoughtful in my cover letter too, which I guess okay. isn't really a cover letter anymore because it's not printed. It's an email, <laughs> but I, I was very thoughtful in my okay. cover letter or my email to explain why them so that they didn't think it was a form letter to say, this is what I love that you do. This is what I do. I, for whatever mm -hmm. reason, I think that this might be a really great match. And, and I also went into it really open that I didn't, I, uh, of getting rejected and knowing that that wasn't a rejection of me, just mm -hmm. of that match, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was bold in some ways of saying what I wanted, what I was looking yeah. for. I didn't want an agent unless I was going to get what I needed from it, you know? And so that ended up working out really, really well in this case. My um, agent, Stephen Barr, is um, is very energetic, very positive, um, and very helpful, smart, and understands the business. And it was just a good match. Like, he really understood immediately what I wanted to create, and then he thought that he could find the work that I wanted to make, not just work, but the work that I had been seeking, if that makes sense. Yeah, so. that's, that's awesome. That's really insightful. I never really thought about it quite that way. Um, I've never had an agent. I, I did some uh, freelance <laughs> illustration work uh, many, many years ago. I, I don't like to say how many years because it pretty much <laughs> dates me. I was one of those illustrators that I faxed my sketches to the art director and some of my fellow <laughs> classmates are no, like, I, fax? I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Yeah. Like, I, in 2003, I started working, and I remember going to FedEx and literally, like, to mail my illustrations to, like, a magazine or a newspaper, and I would be racing to get there by, like, the 5 p.m. pickup time for FedEx. <laughs> so I remember the older illustration days. Well, your work is just so, um, I feel like it's just very contemporary. You, I, when I look at the your, your work, I feel like, wow, she has such a diverse ability to fit in all these different markets, like the gallery work that you talked about, and, and then also the children's work. And I love that you share your process on Instagram. I was like floored that you're very willing to share like the progress work. A lot of times, um, I just will see like illustrators who will just, you know, they put the finish up and that's great and yeah. everything, but you don't really know how they got there. And the work is phenomenal. But, you know, the effort and the, the thought and the care that you put into it is, is fantastic. So what was something that you figured out maybe during your, your process, your career, that helped you solidify that working process to, for yeah. children's books? 
That's a good question because I think I, for a long time, I was afraid of evolving um, my process in a way because I, I was afraid that people liked my work for a technique, let's say, because I think that that gets lost a little bit, like in art school, especially at least back when I went, there was such an emphasis on t- technique. Like, what do you do? How do you work? Your style, I guess I should say style, you know, like what's your look, right? Mm-hmm. And so I got a little afraid after a while that like I had to I was painting all of my books um, and all of my artwork in acrylic for a long time. And you don't see any of that on my site, maybe one or two things. You got to dig pretty deep to find them. But for the most part, I was painting full paintings in acrylic paint um, for years because I kind of thought like that's what people want for me, but found that on the side, like I most enjoyed drawing. Like that is something that I preferred to do, but I couldn't figure out how to make commercial work with drawing because how do you color a drawing, you know? And, and I wasn't a very, um, tech savvy. Like I definitely didn't work, want to work in the computer. Like that was something that I, I just liked the idea of working traditionally and always have. And I liked the idea of there being an original. So I kind of fought that urge for a long time and I created acrylic work. The problem with painting books traditionally is that when you get your feedback or your corrections, inevitably, even though there were all these sketch revisions until it was perfect and all ready, once you paint, people always change their minds. <laughs> or once you send a final, there's some reason that something has to change and so I remember an art director in one of my books saying oh can you just change the sky from like pink to yellow and I was like uh yeah but it's gonna take a while because it's an acrylic paint you know I mean I can't just like click and make it (laughs) change colors but I realized that a lot of the people that they were working with could just click Mm -hmm. a layer and change the color and I couldn't so that sort of got me thinking a little bit more and becoming a little more open-minded to different processes. And then, um, the thing that I did on the side, um, while making books at that time was gallery pieces where I would also paint them, but I could do whatever I wanted. Mm -hmm. And so when I was doing that, I started drawing for gallery pieces and just turning in drawings. Mm -hmm. Um, and I enjoyed that so much that I tried to figure out how to add color. So I kind of gave up on the full traditional and tried to color digitally behind Mm -hmm. a drawing. And that's actually where I landed. Um, because now, um, I draw, so I'll either draw in pencil and graphite and then colorize that drawing, or I will draw in ink and it'll be more clean and maybe colorize the line work um like green glass house series was created with ink mm-hmm. and different layers and in photoshop it was colorized like the line was colorized and in a lot of my covers i'll create the graphite drawing and color and the reason that i so i digitally yeah. color because i want to show the texture mm-hmm. of my drawing and yeah. otherwise i'm not going to see that Um, And the other reason is that I want to be able to change things. I want to be able to be a little more spontaneous. I don't want to be mad when there are corrections. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, it's going to take me days. And instead I can do something in an hour or two. So that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And I think the working process also, what you'll see is if you, you know, on my Instagram account too, Mm -hmm. when I do show like the process, I think one of the reasons I do that, by the way, is because I have less work to show than some people (laughs) because I work really slow and um, they're slowly. So I spend a lot of time on my work so it feels like most of the work is is what you don't see so you know sharing that is like you know helpful to some and I used to like watching other people's process but it also kind of shows how much work goes into just a piece and I can't show original work every day because I don't I'm not that prolific but um one thing I did learn was that that oftentimes there are changes with parts of a drawing too and so I guess that that process has really changed 
um, the way that I work now in that when I do a drawing for a mm-hmm. book cover, I will do it in multiple layers. So oftentimes I will paint, mm-hmm. you know, the fog in the front okay. as a separate drawing and mm-hmm. then the background as a separate drawing and the characters as a separate drawing and the border as a separate drawing and scan them all in because that gives me a lot more freedom mm-hmm. for changes. Okay. And, um, and it also allows me to maybe make changes as I go um, if it, if it needs mm-hmm. it and make something darker or lighter without the pain of going in like, microscopic level and doing that so the process of working with art director and all those changes has definitely influenced the way that I work so I create traditional layers it's like photoshop but in real life (laughs) that's cool I I think it uh, appeals to me your working process because uh well you sharing that it made me feel like everything that um you know that early stage is so important like I used to hate you know, like you just want to, you know, I felt like, oh, I want to rush to the good part where I actually make it. But yes, as, yes. as I've gotten more into my MFA, I was like, you know, I really need to be spending more time on the beginning part because that part, you're just going to, you're going to have a better concept. You're just going to get out the, maybe the wrong ideas early on <laughs> or the things that aren't going to work. And you always hate to be at a certain point where you don't want to go back. Like, because I found myself to the point where I'd get to a line drawing and okay. And then I'd be like, Oh, this is not, you know, the other idea. And so then you just feel like, so yeah, doing a lot of thumbnails, um, doing value and color earlier on in my process has helped me out. So, and just seeing that I was like, she's a professional, she's doing, and it was just like, Oh, okay. So I'm going maybe in the right direction. So that was really helpful. So I really appreciate that. Uh, that's good because it took me way too long to realize some of that. I mean, I think too, we're like much more bold in our original choices. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we we're like, in, uh, when we draw something that's two inches tall, we're like crazy. We're like mm-hmm. much more bold. Like, look, what if I just put a big eye on the cover or what if I just did this? Like you're yes. just more willing to put yes. it out there to do something a little bit crazier. And oftentimes it doesn't land and you don't use it, but sometimes you do. And what have you wasted? Like 30 seconds, a minute, just like making this really messy scribble. And it could, turn into something and oftentimes I mean I'd say 25% of the time something ends up on the cover that there's zero chance would have that it would have if I didn't do like a ton of sketches I'm just a little bit more bold and in fact which also I show a lot in my process I take those original thumbnails and I blow them up exactly as is because I lose like the dynamics of it if I redraw it so I feel like when I draw something small and I'm kind of bold and maybe I force the perspective and maybe it's not right like the perspective doesn't look right but it looks bold and it like it, it I guess it looks right, but it's not technically right. So what I want to do is like overcorrect things Mm -hmm. when I redraw them. And when Mm -hmm. I do that, I sometimes lose the movement or I lose what was special about it. So I often just blow that up and pretty much trace my thumbnail because I feel like a lot can be captured in those thumbnails and that they're really important. Um, And sometimes I even go into Photoshop and play Mm -hmm. with the thumbnails and use like those silly tools in Photoshop that make everything look weird, like warp and distort Mm -hmm. and perspective. I make great use of those and the thumbnails nail stage and then I can print them out and then draw over them and make sense of them but sometimes it it makes me make things larger than I would have or um, a little Uh, bit more like sharper perspective 
Um, and so I use those tools a lot too to play in the beginning because you know what if something in my thumbnail or something in my first drawing looks a little off it looks way more off once I've rendered it perfectly yeah (laughs) so I I really hate it in the final when it's like oh my gosh I could have fixed that in five minutes but instead I rendered it for five hours and now I'm unhappy with it you know so it's always important in the beginning to to spend too much time in the beginning will help you later yeah, that's a great point. And so, yes, thank you for sharing all of that your, on your Instagram and your feed. And then I was wondering, are there any projects you're working on currently that you can discuss or are those, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually, well, right now um, I'm finishing up or should be finished very soon oh, okay. um, with a couple interiors for um, a middle grade work that I'm working on. It's a I don't want to say exactly sequel, but it's set in the same world of, as Foxheart. So I'm, okay. I'm working on that. I'm almost done with that. I'm just working on a math and stuff. So I do, I still do a lot of book covers and interiors, okay. but the uh, main project picture book project that I'm working on right now is um, called the night frolic. And it's actually by Julie Berry, who has written a lot of like middle grade and YA titles and some mm-hmm. picture books as well. And it's a really, really good fit for me. So when I read it, I thought this is, um, oh. this will be a lot of fun. Um, and it's just, it's like an a nighttime adventure essentially and it can be a little quirky and strange and it's sort of a great break from you know writing and illustrating both (laughs) and so I think this pattern of possibly in my mind it's kind of nice to come off of a book that I wrote and illustrated Mm -hmm. and then be the illustrator for something that I admire and am excited to work on and then maybe and then my next book um, which I'm also working on Uh sort of here and there on the side that I'm uh, writing and illustrating is already contracted. So I'll be working on that afterwards. Nice. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So you're just, you're constantly busy. It sounds like you're just caught, you know, working on multiple projects. That must be so exciting. So that kind of leads into like, so with all this work going on, how do you kind of keep it fresh, you know? And, um, and then when you create your, your gallery work, do you still find time that you have time for that? Um, because it has a very edgy look. I, I really love some yeah. of your gallery pieces that you had on your website. Thanks. Very good. Yeah, I, I mean, gallery work was what kind of kept me sane at first. Because okay. the first work that I got in children's publishing was, like, educational work. Oh. Where, like, I was happy to have the work. And it was helping me learn to draw kids at different ages. And it, But it was so specific. It'd be like, there's oh. a six-year-old who has this color hair and this color eyes and they're buying two pounds of fish with their aunt who is this age and this size, you know, it was like this very specific, you know, and so that was very, that wasn't exactly exciting. It was helpful to me. I learned from it, but I needed a creative outlet from my creative life, you know? And so I was doing the gallery pieces to kind of satisfy that and to say, you know, here's what I'm like really working towards. And then at one point, I think I entered my work in those like society of illustrators contests or whatever, you know, like they have those. And I, and I sometimes enter stuff in those, um, not always, but sometimes. And I remember entering some stuff that I personally really liked, but it was uncommissioned. And, um, but I put it in anyway. And then those were the pieces that got in, not necessarily the work I was doing commercially, but the work that I was making for myself Mm -hmm. was like looked at maybe more favorably by these judges or, um, you know, by that community of illustrators. And that really got me thinking as to like how, where, you know, why do I have to have these two different worlds? Like why is what I'm doing over here for picture books and why I'm over here, what I'm doing for gallery work. And is there a way to like bring them together in some way? So at this point, I don't have any time to do 
gallery work anymore. And sometimes I miss it because I enjoy doing exactly whatever I want to do. But the good part of that is that once I um, sort of sought a new agent and sort of explained what I'm looking for, the work that I've been getting has been much closer to the work that I would have been making anyways. And so I feel like now I'm get to make sort of gallery type work all the time because, you know, I feel like even though it's not what I would make from nothing, but the props that I'm getting, the stories that I'm getting, the really cool middle grade covers I'm getting are very close to the type of illustration or the type of gallery work I would have made anyway. So I feel like I've found a way to maybe lighten the mood a little on my gallery work so that it's appropriate for children, but also to find the work that might be the most mysterious work that's available within Mm -hmm. the children's market, if that makes sense. So in terms of keeping it fresh at this point, I think that book covers honestly um is one of the ways that i think i can keep my work fresh because you just have to like you have to leave room for type Mm -hmm. you have to think about design in a Mm -hmm. way that maybe you don't always think about because type is so important and so that really helps to modernize the work a little i think that my work sometimes because i render so much you know i I appreciate you saying that it feels modern (laughs) because sometimes i feel like rendering everything out sometimes my work can look a little old-fashioned so i think that i try to to make sure i render areas but also make areas of flat white space or flat design space or large lettering or things that sort of counters the traditional nature of the rendering part or colors that are unexpected Mm -hmm. um so those are the ways that i balance it out and try to make something feel a little more modern even if it's sort of classically rendered Mm -hmm. um and so maybe a little bit of the best of both worlds um so i I hopefully i'm keeping it fresh through the assignments because when you do a book cover it's not 32 pages you don't have to spend a whole year doing on it you can be a little more experimental and the art directors are always up for that and I think oh, there's nice. a lot of experimentation that can go into book covers and design very cool so the middle grade novels do th- so how, can you tell me like how much time would it take you to do that versus um, a 32 uh-huh. page picture book yeah so like a uh, much less time um much less time and it depends on the the book of course and uh, I mean I would say the back and forth sometimes can take a long time depending on the book um but you know essentially with a middle grade book you're looking at just a a front cover and a wraparound usually or a back cover and a front cover two separate drawings sometimes a frontispiece which is basically um an illustrated page opposite the title page and maybe a map and then because i often do maps so i often get asked to do maps and then, and that usually takes me a long time. <laughs> I'll draw a map for a couple of weeks straight. Um, sometimes if it's really complicated, but then you're talking about those little spot illustrations at the top of every chapter. And those can be a lot quicker. Um, and oftentimes they don't want every chapter illustrated anyway. So you're just giving okay. them 10 or so. So I would say, you know, way less time than a regular picture book, which is going to require at least 16 full color mm-hmm. spreads. Um, so way less time, but they vary so much because sometimes they're just looking for like little tiny, like little tiny things. And sometimes it's more specific, um, like the green glass house books took longer than a lot of other books because there's a lot of very specific things in the text. So it has to be like more accurate. It's a whole world and there are 36 chapters and each one has a unique drawing. And so those take a little bit longer, but still it takes me the longest to do like larger work that's full color. So it definitely takes less time and it takes, it's a different kind of project. And so I enjoy doing both at the same time actually, because one can sort of take me away from the other for a little bit, like a break. 
from the other project. Oh, nice. Well, and those maps that you talk about, they're very beautiful. They're detailed. I just, you know, you if I was a kid looking at this, you'd just pour over like, oh, wow. It just gives it a sense of um, a reality to this world that you're illustrating. So how did you get into creating these maps? Would you just ask by the art director? And also the lettering that you I've seen you do on some of your work is beautiful, too. Did you just get asked Thanks. for that? Or how did that Yeah, I'm trying out? to think of what the first map I made was, because that's a good question. Um, I, I think that it's the detail nature okay. of my work since it is like really detailed and often probably too detailed in terms of like honestly like how much time it takes versus what people are actually going to see or notice um I think that it, I'm well equipped for that like obviously people that are detail oriented enjoy mm -hmm. making maps and so I think there's that um I'm trying to think the first time it might have been Foxheart um but I'm not sure I'm not positive about that um I think I got asked to do that map and then people saw it and asked for more maps because there are a couple of books where I've just done the maps like mm -hmm. that's it like they'll call yeah. me to do the maps um and that would be like a YA fantasy type thing where there are no other illustrations so let's just call someone to do a map okay. um and so I don't I'm trying to think I think uh, Green Glass doesn't have a map so yeah so that was probably the first one um, and then I had a lot of fun with it like I really enjoy and a lot of my work is landscape honestly if I'm being honest yeah. my weakness I think is character um, I'm not <laughs> I'm not as it for someone that makes picture books I probably should get better at <laughs> drawing characters but I enjoy atmosphere mm -hmm. I enjoy I've always enjoyed creating landscapes so you know probably a combination of people seeing like oh a green glass house it's like a, a fant fantasy landscape or seeing some of the other work that I've done that just feels like landscape oriented mm -hmm. might have made people ask me for a map but I never I don't think I ever put one in my portfolio oh. which I always told my students to do but I never did um, okay. because I think if they see a map they're going to call you for a map um, but then once I got a map assignment um, then I was called for maps so once it's on my website they call me for more but I think it's just the detail like I like to get it right I liked all the little place names and all the little tiny houses and it's very um, it's sort of it's a uh, it's like a calm meditation <laughs> to draw a map. So, and then the lettering, um, that came, that's not something that I really ever wanted to do. I still feel like oh, I don't okay. do a great job on lettering and I'm happy when, when they hire that out essentially, but, um, or when the art director does it. Um, and, and I actually haven't drawn most of my books, but I think I've drawn three okay. or four. Uh, I think three or three or four uh, um, are my drawing. And I always see something wrong with my type drawing, but I think I'm getting better. And the reason that I ended up drawing on those is because for some reason, like I drew it in my sketches and it must've looked good enough that they thought I wanted to hand letter it. So when they asked me, um, I was like, I can try, but I don't know that that's my you know, the first thing that I feel like I really know how to do. And, and I gave it a stab and some I think is better than others. I think it works better for me when it's more organic, like Tom's midnight garden or something yeah, where it feels nice. more like the trees. Um, and it's a little less perfect because when I have to draw it like perfect, I definitely get an angle wrong here or there, but I, I, it's one of those things where if they see the sketch and they like the type and they kind of want me to just draw it, they'll ask and I'll usually do it, but I'm trying to get better at that. I don't think that's my forte right now, but I, I, I do it when asked. Yeah, well, I, I, I've been um, in my classes. Um, I have a professor I enjoy a lot right now, and she was just like, you know, she gets asked to do some hand lettering and type and stuff like that. And so she's been pushing us to try, you know, at least try, you know, yeah. see if you like it and stuff. But yeah, I, I really liked it on uh, the, the cover of the book that you mentioned. I was like, oh, that just fits so well with the illustration. It just, it, 
I, I love when I see like when it is done by the illustrator and it is done well you go like wow it just it, it's just a really beautiful package and so yeah so that worked really great with that um, cover and the next thing I want to ask you is because um, you're you've been a teacher and you taught at um, do you guys call it Micah because we call it like SCAD. Yes, you go, okay so so um, I was wondering what drew you to teaching um, you know, I actually, I, I, I've taught here and there, like for a while, just little things before I went to my place, just by being a guest in a class or something like that, small opportunities to speak or talk. And I think that just generally, I would get asked to come in and talk about things that maybe I learned after school. Mm -hmm. Like I used to sell all my stuff at like art fairs and shows when that was cool. early 2000s, when literally like Etsy was just not even on the scene yet, you know, and there were lots of like craft and art sales and I did really well doing that for a while. And I was on the front ends of that. So I got asked to talk about that because that was never like a class in school. So I'd visit classes and kind of share what I knew. Um, and then that kind of turned into when I moved to Baltimore, um, which was in like 2008, I just reached out to Micah, um, because I knew the art school was there and I, and I reached out to the illustration department chair at the time was Whitney Sherman. And so I reached out to her just to say, Hey, I just moved here. I'm in the neighborhood. I'm a professional illustrator. If you ever need any, a guest in your class or something, I'm here. Like, I don't know anyone yet, you know? Okay. And so I, I'm a part of the community. And so she reached out like almost instantly and actually asked if I was interested in a teaching, um, job just like teaching a class mm -hmm. and so I of course I thought sure you know like it's great something you know to get involved in the community and then I really loved it I mean I expected to like it um but I really really took to it and I really enjoyed it and I just enjoyed sharing everything that I knew and had learned and collaborating and talking to the students because they were all really talented and so that class turned into two classes and then mm -hmm. Whitney started a program an MFA program and so I went with her to that program and started teaching in that and and until I was full-time for a couple years okay. um and I just I really enjoyed it I still miss many aspects of it mm -hmm. um but when we got the opportunity to move and I felt like you know I could teach forever this could be my job and I could be very happy doing it but you know what I haven't made those books that I wanted to make I haven't done the things that I wanted to do as an illustrator and with a couple small children mm -hmm. <laughs> at the time I wasn't going to be able to achieve those things too you know at yeah. the same time as being a parent and you know and doing all those other things so I decided that you know what I could always come back to teaching but I would go freelance but honestly everything about teaching um I'm attracted to everything about teaching I enjoy it um I there there's nothing I didn't like about teaching in all honesty so very nice yeah I that's something that I um because my background actually the I was a graphic designer illustrator after I finished um my bachelor's degree but then I ended up doing 11 years as a K through 12 art teacher. So I'm oh, taking, wow. yeah, I'm taking a break. <laughs> and I said, it's a good time. <laughs> COVID happened, all this stuff. So I was like, you know what? I was just working so much trying to do my MFA part time and then teaching. It was just so hectic. And I too have a family. I have uh, my husband and a son and though he doesn't need me as much, he's older, but it was just, it, it got a lot on my plate. And I finally was, you know, I, I'd like to just finish this degree and I just want to, you know, <laughs> and, and focus on exploring things that I'd always wanted to do. And I felt like I never could, for whatever reason, just fully do that, whether it was just, I guess, you know, work or just family commitments at the time. So it's been really nice to explore those 
just techniques and just ideas, directions, and things like that. But it's great having people who are experienced like you in the in teaching illustration because I think um, if you're working, it changes, it evolves. And like when we talked about the fax machine, you know, people are obviously not using fax <laughs> machines. And you bring a lot of professionalism from what you've done to the classroom. And I think it gives uh, students a realistic idea of what it's like to work in the industry. So, so yeah, yeah. that's, that's awesome. So, oh, and you kind of mentioned already about my next question. So about how you work digitally and traditionally. So I'm going to skip over that one, but talking about work-life balance, because that was uh, the 10th question, you know, how do you, how do you manage all of that when you're doing these jobs, you have family, do you, I found with this whole COVID thing. Um, and then I went to grad school. I was like, I've become a workaholic. I just cannot stop. And my family is just like knocking on my studio. They're like, are you, are you going to come out? We haven't seen you. Like, yeah. It's so hard to stop because my son yeah. asked me, he said, well, mom, what do you, what do you do for fun? I said, what I'm doing now is fun. And you know, I have this <laughs> manic look on my face. Like I've been, you know, like the mad scientist, like painting, drawing is fun. And he's like looking at me like, so what do you do to kind of do everything that you need to do in life and have it somewhat balanced? Yeah. I don't know. I think, well, it's really hard. I think right now is, mm -hmm. is particularly hard with um, COVID just because my kids are schooling at home mm -hmm. um, and all of that. So it doesn't help my productivity because I'm actually terrible. I've come to find this. This is what's been enlightening to me over this time is I'm terrible at working when I'm not the only one here. Um, like my only way of getting anything done is like silence and not really silence because I always have something playing like a mm -hmm. podcast or something, but just nobody's stirring around me because I'll jump up and be like, what are you doing? What do you need? You know, yeah. if the kids are working at school online and then doing work, I'm always checking up on them. So this is a particular terrible time, but let's just say in non COVID times, yes. um, I think it's still hard. <laughs> and, um, I was you like where you're saying, like you, you never come out, um, for years and years. And like to the point where I feel like, especially with a small child, like years ago when my first, who's now 12, was like two or three. I think that was like the hardest oh, wow. time because both yeah. of us were working um, like more than full time at that time. Right. And so it was sort of like the tag team thing where it's like the weekends, like one of us would work all day Saturday while the other entertained my son. And then we'd split for Sunday. So we'd almost never see each other. And so like, it wasn't working, you know? And, mm -hmm. and I think part of that was why we moved to South Carolina feeling like, okay, you know, we won't both have these same kind of Ex these same kind of crazy schedules that we were doing based on what we were trying to achieve. And then it might be a little bit easier to find that balance. And I think that it was, I think some of that balance is just, I guess accepting what you are able to do, which I'm pretty bad at. Like I want to finish something in a certain amount of time. I want, you know, I, I was just very adamant that I needed to work like 16 hours a day. And, and then I had to like change my perspective a little bit and just say, you know, I'm not going to work on weekends, which mm -hmm. I still, I used to think of weekends as like bonus time <laughs> because I felt like, look, I'm not going to get any emails from art directors this weekend. Like there's no deadlines on a weekend. So I felt like anything I could do on a weekend was like bonus time. Like it was like surprise. I got something done. And so it always felt really productive to work on a weekend, but now I try not to work at all on the weekend. And I think, you know, in some ways that's just a combination of things that are things that I have done to make sure that I make those decisions. But also like, you know, my husband's not training anymore. He has like a job so I don't have to he has a job he's not training to be a doctor for like 
a million oh, years wow. and getting his PhD and he was doing all these things. And so I was, you know, I, we needed our income, mm-hmm. my income a lot. And now we don't need my income mm-hmm. as much, if that makes sense. So that yes. helps because then I can say no to projects that aren't going to be, you know, worth the time and energy, et cetera. Um, and, and they're not really up my alley. I used to say yes to everything. And now I pick my projects, if that makes sense. And I'm still busy right now doing the projects I want to do. So it all worked out in the end, but I wouldn't have been able to do that forever. And I think that when illustrators are starting out, yeah. it's very sad, but the people that are willing to sacrifice the work-life balance mm-hmm. are the ones that are usually going to get ahead. And that's just, I hate to say that because I know someone's going to counter that and saying that's not true. But I think, <laughs> I think it is true. I think there's always going to be someone that's willing to work 20 hours a day. And I think there's always going to be someone that's going to sacrifice their weekends for it. Yeah. I, you know, it's, I think it's very hard to get ahead if you're not willing to put it all in and be a little obsessed with it, if that makes sense. But you don't have to do that forever. Mm-hmm. You just have to do it when you need to do it. And you have to be willing to do it when you're challenged to do it. You know, like yeah. when you get an opportunity, you know, you have to kind of meet that opportunity and then you hopefully won't have to do it forever, if that makes sense. But I don't have a good answer for you, except that you have to make conscious choices um, that will get you where you need to go. And it doesn't have to be forever. Those sacrifices that you make <laughs> don't have to be forever because now I, you know, mm-hmm. I enjoy cooking. I cook dinner every night because that's what I like to do. That's like mm-hmm. my fun thing now. And it's also productive. I don't, I try very hard not to work on weekends. Occasionally I still do at night, but I try to like accept that. So I don't know. It's a combination of just making decisions and doing what you need to do when you need to do it. But sometimes there's no balance. Yeah, that's a good answer. You're honest. I appreciate that. (laughs) And another thing I I realized is, like, it is kind of difficult. Like, um, well, like, I just, I don't know, because I've always, like, when I was freelancing, I always had a full-time day job working as a graphic designer. And what I didn't realize is how much time you you are by yourself. So it's kind of weird. It was just like this, I don't know what I had in my mind, but I guess it's like, you kind of learn what works for you when you are illustrating whether it is some people I've heard they like to be in those co-op studios where there are other artists and then they can kind of go over and socialize but then they're mainly working on their own stuff and other things like that so I'm learning a lot like it it really is whatever you want to make of it this illustration life or you know creative life that you you decide how you pursue it so it's it's fascinating so The last question, um, oh no, I don't, oh no, I had more. Oh, sorry. Okay, so (laughs) I have two more questions, sorry. Uh, The next one is, if you could go back into a time machine and tell yourself as a new illustrator a piece of advice, what would that be? Oh, I think now having produced, uh, having said, like when I was in school and I actually Mm -hmm. went to Art Center a little later, um, meaning I had already had an undergrad degree before I went to Art Center. um, But when I was there, I was probably graduated at like 26, 25, 26. um, I thought I'm going to make my own picture book. Like that's one of the first things I'm going to do. And um, fast forward to this year (laughs) when my picture book came out. Um, so, you know, I think that I, if I could go back in time and tell myself anything, it would be that I probably should have trusted my own projects a little bit more, like made my own projects, paved my own path. And that's something that's sort of scary to do when you get out of school because you 
want a job. You want someone to sort of hand you a job. You want to do whatever they want you to do to keep the job. And then some of that's true. Some of that you have to do. But I think that maybe creating my own projects and really trying to push them, doing doing that work, I should have done that earlier. And I probably should have maybe tried to trust it more. Like I said, I didn't have that same support team that was like, do it, do it, do it and finish it. But I think finishing what I start, I think that there's value in finishing the projects that you start because I probably started 10 picture books and never finished them. And, you know, some probably weren't worth finishing, but I think that if I would have finished it, I would have been able to go back and look at it and maybe fix it. I think there's great value in finishing what you start regardless of you know, it's perceived value at the time. And, 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 you know, cause once you finish it, you can work with it. You might be able to sell it. You might be able to show it to somebody. And I just think I, I dragged my feet way too long on that and just did other people's projects because I maybe didn't have enough confidence in it, or I didn't think that anybody would want it from me because nobody knew who I was or whatever the case may be. All those reasons are, you know, not reasons not to finish something, if that makes sense. So. Wonderful. Okay, now I'm at the last question. So the last question (laughs) is, at the end of your life, you've created all the art you wanted, and you can only leave behind three final truths. What would they be? Uh, Okay, well, one thing that I always say that I've always told people has helped me, I think, Mm -hmm. is, and and this is the teacher in me, you know, Mm -hmm. um, is to always share everything Mm -hmm. that I know. um, Mm -hmm. Because I did sense, while there were very some teachers at school, for instance, that would share everything and be very open. Mm -hmm. I sense that not just teachers, but other professionals were always like hiding something from me. (laughs) Like I could sense that like you ask them very pointed questions and they give you vague answers because there's this feeling like that it's a competition, like the whole world's a competition, Mm -hmm. but in illustration, it's like a, its own little competition. Um, but I think that honestly, from sharing everything that I have known, any secrets that I have sharing them, um, you have a mailing list. Is there some, uh, you know, art directors that you know how to contact? Sure. Um, this is what you do. Like I share everything I know. People ask me how much I got paid for something. I share it with the exception of, you know, I mean, not like broadly to everyone. Cause I don't think that's fair to the, um, the editors, but I'll give you ballparks, you know, like sharing everything, you know, has only helped me. And I think that people are afraid to share anything that they know because they're afraid that maybe somebody's going to take that information and beat them or take that information and surpass them in some way. But I do think there's been a lot of value in that, um, for me, um, and meeting people and sharing everything. So I think just in general illustration Mm -hmm. or otherwise sharing everything that, you know, um, the other thing that, I mean, I guess the second one that I had is very tied to that, which is that it is not a competition. Mm -hmm. So it always feels like a competition. Like for Mm -hmm. years, I feel like part of that work-life balance being such a problem for me and it's getting better now was that I kind of saw everything like a competition. So I was always trying to like one up or get ahead or work an extra hour because it was a competition and I was going to win. But what I found was every time I won something, and by that I mean like met my own goals, like was on the cover of a magazine or made my, illustrated my first book or whatever the case may be, when it's done, I don't feel like I've accomplished you know, what I thought, I, it doesn't feel like I thought it would feel, if that makes okay. sense. It's great. And I, and I'm proud of what I made, but now it's just on to the next, keep going. And so I realized like, it's not about beating other people. And I know this is something we all know, but I think in illustration, people get really wrapped up in like social media and awards and all that stuff. And so now I'm way less wrapped up in that than I used to be. And I think I'm much happier creating the work that I'm creating because it's not a competition. It's really about the work that you're making and why you're making it and, um, you know, who it's going to reach or what's the 
meaning. It's sort of the why, you know, not where you stand or where it may be. So I would just say, you know, don't think of it as a competition, even though sometimes it's hard not to. Um, and then maybe to the third might be to just take some time for yourself. And I don't do that very well, but I find little small moments yeah. to do that. And I think it really helps. Um, and I've never been good with self-care like at all. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm like, I, yeah, I'm pretty bad at that, but, but I think recently I've been taking it where it actually matters to me. Like when people talk about self-care, mm-hmm. they'll say like, Oh, I got a massage or I did these crazy mm-hmm. big things. But for me, I'm thinking of, you know, like eating lunch. Like I like, I like making a nice lunch or I like taking a walk in the morning and it might only be 10 minutes, but those things, those like practices are really helpful. And especially at this like COVID situation mm-hmm. where like, I'm trapped with my whole family, you know, <laughs> my kids are crazy or whatever the case may be. If I have like a schedule yeah. that I can make and feel like I'm not just every hour is the same as the next and I can take a little time daily for something that's even minor for myself, that's sort of helpful and that fuels everything else, you know? So I would say take that time the way that it's most meaningful to you if you can. Great. Well, those are all wonderful pieces of advice and, um, Oh, did you want to mention your social media? Um, just to shout out, uh, give a shout out for that. Sure. Um, on Instagram, which is the main one I'm pretty much using, it is just my name, which is spelled kind of different than you might think. It's J A I M E Zollers, like dollars with a Z, Z O L L A R S, Art A R T. And I, that's where I show like a ton of process and that's for sure where I'm the most active. And I also have, I think Jamie Zoller's art is also a Facebook page too, but that's mostly just the Instagram posts getting pushed there. So that's pretty much, I mean, I'm on Twitter as Jamie Zoller's, but I never use it. So I would say that if you want to follow like art related stuff, then Jamie Zoller's art on Instagram is probably your best bet. Great. Well, thank you, Jamie, so much for sharing all your expertise and advice. I'll be definitely taking um, it uh, to heart. Um, So everybody, thank you for listening to My Creative Life. Thank you.